I remember doing a story there. They had run out of water. They had literally run out of water. They didn't have water coming out of their taps. It was brown. It was murky. Um, and then you had aid coming in and bringing you in water. That's how catastrophic the drought was. And then you go on, on farm and you see all these farmers' livelihoods just they're, they're all gone. And you see broken farmers and you see um, people like this. It was, it was horrible and it went on for a very long time. For something new, we'd like to welcome our very first sponsor of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast has been sponsored by LAWD, the Real Estate Land Specialists. With a national team with extensive experience, they are the leaders in land, agribusiness, water and development. To find out more, you can go to their website, lawd.com.au. G'day and welcome to episode 42 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and this week I'm sitting down with two extraordinary Lucys. There's a double meaning there because these girls are the brains and the brawn behind extraordinary outback stories. As journalists, they knew that the job prospects weren't available to them when they returned home to Dubbo in mid-2020. So they set about sharing the stories themselves. The girls have an incredible background that has shaped their perspectives. Whether for Lucy Taylor, that's the Mongol Derby, or reporting on the drought in Western New South Wales for Lucy Samuels. Nowadays though, with Lucy Samuels at the helm of a Cessna 182, the girls take to the airways and the airwaves to share the stories of extraordinary people with incredible stories. This chat has plenty of laughs, a bit of a mix of seriousness and banter. What they didn't bring up is that they are finalists in the New South Wales Regional Women of the Year Awards next week. These two truly are extraordinary, and we wish them all the luck. Two extraordinary Lucy's, welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Thanks. Hello. What a ripper of an intro. I know. <laughs> it's a really nice way to start it, actually. Oh, jeez. Well, I suppose, yeah, starting off, thank you for coming on and having a chat, because you guys are used to being... On the other side of the mic, so... Yeah, it feels weird. I kind of like being on this side. Do you? Yeah. It feels less invasive. I just feel famous. Oh, <laughs> Long time coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Does hey. this mean there's like a prerequisite for people that come on your podcast that they have to be famous? Or is it just anyone and everyone? Just anyone and everyone. Yeah. Anybody. Anybody with a cool story, really. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. That's what we'll... We don't want to do the story that's already been done 50 million times, you know, um, the famous people, because everyone's heard about them. We want to do people who actually have true stories and who are extraordinary. The ordinary people who live in the bush who have a great yarn to tell. And there's gold. Yeah, like there's there is gold. gold. There is the most insane stories and no, one, no one's heard them. And so we're sitting there like, how do people not know about you? What you do is incredible. Like, you live in the back of Whitecliffs, for example. You go out there, you sit down at a pub, and you probably know. Sit down at a pub, go out, and you hear all these great yarns, and then it kind of eventuates from there, hey? We just, we don't have enough time to tell them all. Yeah, like, I know last night I stayed in Lake Cajeligo and just went to the pub, and there was this one bloke sitting on the corner. His name was Milesy. I felt like I knew him by the end. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, everyone who walked faces. in, it was like, g'day, Milesy. And then he'd just, like, have a yarn with them. And it was like, but they're the characters which are everywhere in rural Australia and I yeah. think after like, I've spent the last couple of years in Melbourne and you think like 
shit like rural australia is so special it is it really is and the people i don't know the people just they're raw they're different and they're nice and they smile <laughs> not different in a bad way <laughs> depends on where you are i don't know but so you yeah you two girls grew up in rural australia country girls yeah so i grew up in kenambul which is and we probably better introduce which lucy oh lucy taylor yeah. i grew up in kenambul and I'm off a property, so a livestock property out there, and was there until I was 18 and then headed overseas for six years and came back in 2019. And I was in Sydney, but now came back here with COVID and kind of fell in love with rural Australia all over again. It's somewhere I never thought I'd come back to. I thought... Eastern oh, suburbs of Sydney were looking pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but then I came back and I don't think I'd ever leave again. And was it a, like a matter of circumstance, a job loss or...? Yeah. Well, not job loss, but I was working from home and I didn't want to be paying rent in Sydney, so I thought, why not come home and work from Canamble? And it just went from there and I was like, I'm going to stay here. Mm. Yeah. yeah, perfect. And Lucy S., Lucy Samuels? Yeah. <laughs> What's Lucy your S. background? This is what we should do. Um, my background <laughs> is I'm a townie. <laughs> I was brought up in Dubbo. And then I... What did I do? My family own a stock feed mill so yeah we sell stock feed so ag's been in our family for you know our whole lives i guess um and then you know you go away to sydney or you go away to bathurst and you do thing and go to uni and then i came back to dobbo and i really like it yeah i love it it's great it's great as a base hey i don't know it's a great base. Particularly here when you're a pilot, you can just go wherever you want. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's a great base and you can just fly or drive wherever you want. And yeah, there's lots of young people here, so we're very lucky. And in terms of, like, I suppose, Dubbo itself, like you guys have come back from either working overseas or in Sydney, like career opportunities at rural Australia, are they there? Uh, well, journalism is hard well there's been that massive decline in regional media and i think that's why we really started extraordinary because we watched a decline happen and knew there wasn't the job opportunities for us available so why not kind of start our own thing and get it going because what else are we going to do yeah it's been interesting like last year whether it was like the mildura daily i don't even know if that's their paper but like mildura there was like a young journalist there she was out of work and it's like across like rural Australia which gets all its media through a lot of it traditional being paper-based and people just getting run and out of town. Yeah I mean and then you think back to the sales and who can actually afford to advertise in regional media now you know is there I don't know is it there anymore are we I don't know flogging a dead horse I don't know I don't know it's a worry and that's we really care about regional Australia and we really care about rural people and it's so important to have a voice out here because we are so far away from anywhere else and I guess that's why we wanted to start the podcast because we have seen that decline. Well, there's no platform for regional people mm. really yeah no there's so many towns you look at Canamble, Galagambone, Walgett you don't hear news out of there ever which I think is really disappointing because there's some great people out there with some great new initiatives but there's no media platform to pick that up so if we could be that platform for even just some of them it would be great yeah a voice for some regional Australians yeah a voice for the voiceless yeah that's yeah. right why didn't we think of that 
that witty. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, are you guys trying to build a media company? Is that the plan? Oh, that's where it initially started, I think, to build a media company. But I think we'll just start it small. Yeah. I mean, a podcast takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? You know, yeah. So we're just starting with the podcast and then we'll see kind of how it goes as we go along. Where that takes us. But it was a full-time job for us doing the podcast straight up because we were two rookie girls that had no idea what we were doing. So it was five days a week. And as you know, it's not easy to get money for your podcast so yeah we also had to branch out and do other things at the same time and bear in mind that we do have journalism as background you know you're a writer Luce wrote like writes for Outback magazine and used to be the feature writer for Marie Claire so you know she's a a beautiful writer and then I had some experience in working for Prime News in the Central West so journalism is our background so it's what we're passionate about yeah but it's a whole different ballgame when it comes to like it, one thing is there's so many stories that need to be told, but, like, as you guys are saying, time and start-up, if you want to call it that, like, you you can't put a price on your time because you'd be broke before you know it. And yeah. so you have to be free, but then at the same time too, like, yeah, content has to be free, like, otherwise people don't... Yeah, exactly. listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at what Facebook's done recently. I don't know. Mm. You know, removing um, news from... Um, the platform is a is a huge deal in itself. Um, I think they're backlit too today. Have yeah, they? I did. I saw yeah. that. Oh, I haven't heard this news. Mm, well, I think it's back. Yeah, it's coming back. It's coming back. Yeah. Well, they took away that as well. That's a crueler for regional media as well because you look at some of these small businesses that provide a bit of news that had their sites taken away. Yeah, but I know Facebook's free. Yeah. Anyway, we could get into mm. the discussion for ages. Get into the nitty and gritty. Yeah. But like, and it, it was even like um, New South Wales Rural Fire Service, like all yeah, of those the emergencies got taken away. The people out living in Burke who have a bushfire going on out there, how, you know, how are they going to yeah, yeah. hear their news? It's crazy. Yeah. So I want to take a back backflip though to how you two met. I think I've... <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I, like I've read it. I've read it. It was in a um, what does he in a in a car trip. But so you two have spent a lot of time together. So I want you to, get, I suppose, give a bit of an intro to the other person and what you've learned over this <laughs> e- extraordinary journey. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? Many, many long hours in the plane, in the car, in the car as well, getting but delirious. We met. Luce and I only met. What? In June last year. Yeah. Oh, is that recent? We'd met. We'd met. We knew of each other. Mutual friends. But we didn't really know. And then we were actually both going to a party and we were going in the same direction. And so I was like, I'm going to jump in with you. (laughs) That's what I'm like. Don't want to take my own car. And and anyway, we just got on this massive discussion. You know when you're like five hours deep into it, into yeah. a car trip, and you're both kind of like, oh, I wish this would end. But we started The company or... No, 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 uh, but the car trip. No, <laughs> God, no. No, this is before we decided. And we were both like, yeah, real inspirational. Like, we want to do something. We want to create something awesome. And I think Luce thought I was kidding or was, like, just kind of running with it. And a couple of days later, I kind of turned up and I was like, Cool, you ready to go? Or yeah, Luce actually knocked on my door. Oh, because yeah, keep thinking. Luce Samuels is the pilot, so you were thinking, "Sweet, I'm going to get flown around." Yeah, just like the year. car free yeah, ride, yeah. you know? No, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. The um, chief pilot. Yeah, but we th- <laughs> we 
actually thought, um, oh, well, I thought that Lucy wasn't serious. You know, I just met this chick and here she is in a car and we're having great conversations. So obviously, you know, you get along. Um, and then she rocked up on my door and knocked on my door the next day and said, I'm legit, like, we talked about this, we're going to do it. And so... Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives, those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Then we started. The podcast was flying like. Yeah. Flying around the place, recording a podcast was the initial idea. No, no. No. So initially we had the hook with the pilot because like Lucy's a pilot. So we thought we wanted something a bit different because, I don't know. And accessibility as well. As well, like reaching regional New South Wales. You've got to be able to fly around and visit some of these places. Otherwise you're yeah. on the road forever. And so we originally kind of, it was just, it wasn't even going to be a podcast originally, was it? No, magazine. No, magazine. And then we were like, don't have that much money let's do a podcast yeah and then you spend all your money on then we spend all our money on podcasting (laughs) and flying lucy around (laughs) yeah i was gonna say because abgas isn't cheap no 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 it's fine um i mean flying yeah (laughs) flying i drive sometimes (laughs) but yeah so then we just jumped in the plane one day what was our first story what was our first story Motocross dude. Burke. Yeah. Okay. Motocross bloke? It yeah. seems like a there long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, Ty Simmons. Thank you. <laughs> We've got one. We've got a fan. <laughs> um, so we went out and we saw Ty Simmons and we flew out there and we did a, a range of podcasts. So we went to Bree Warner as well and met with Bara McHughes, who's a local Aboriginal boy who's um, leading the Royal... Um, the fire crew. The fire crew out there. And then we went out and we saw uh, Ty and he put us up and we had some amazing experiences in Burke. Um, He's a goat chaser who um, chases goats. In his gyrocopter. In his gyrocopter. And he used to be this... Yeah, it used to be this awesome um, motocross dude. He was a champion, a world champion, four times. Really? How old is he? He's your age, maybe? Our age? Well, I mean, how old are you? (laughs) 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 28. Did 28? Same age. Yeah. Yeah. Far out. He'll be 28. He's ticked a bit off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, in terms of the stories, is there one that stands out, or or is there, yeah, one that stands out from the ones you've told so far? What's your favourite? They're all great, um, but I. Hard. What's one that which really resonated and you learned something off? Probably. um, I have a favourite. Di Morrissey. Di Morrissey. She's the book. The author. And, but I think she was my favourite because I, I'm an avid reader. I read a lot and I've loved her stuff forever. And I think as well she also gave us motivation. 
she's like that she was like a hype girl she was like yeah you can go and do it this is great I love this and I think that for me was a big turning point because I was like we're actually doing something really beneficial that's why I think I that's my favorite mine was probably Terry Wheeler or Jamie Manning um, because of their resilience and who they are and what they've been through and the way that they just hop back up and continue on. Yeah. Stories of hardship and drought and the true Australia. Yeah, yeah. You know? One of them was a Burns victim, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Dodge. yeah. That was Dodge, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, and right. he, you know, the ability to have 50 operations, um, he was in a coma for a very long time. He wasn't going to, he really didn't think that he was going to see it through. Um, and then eventually, after a year, he's up walking again and then he's riding his horse all the way from home to Tilpa Pub. Yeah, and he back. doesn't have an arm or a leg. Um, yeah, so, uh, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. There's something about, like, so I sp- spoke, it wasn't a podcast, it was just literally a, a photo story. I haven't worked out what I call them yet. Um, but this young guy, he was, Ricky, he's from... From Victoria originally, but lives up in Queensland now, and he, like, was covered in oil from working on cars, fell asleep next to a fire, um, and yeah, got caught on fire. And he talked about like the when he first saw himself in the mirror after it all, because in his head, like, he hadn't seen himself, so he he knew that it was it was bad, but he didn't know to what extent. And then, like, just the emotion that comes out of these, like, I, was, I suppose I was fortunate. I was talking to him on the phone for it, but like that story itself like we just put that on facebook it was shared like 800 times it was seen by nearly 250,000 people in a week like it's there's seriously amazing people out there that have suffered but then overcome something and live a normal life like they just know how to find well, and it makes you wonder if you'd be like that that's what coming away from those stories i thought if that had happened to me would i be the same would i be able to pull myself out and move on like these people have but it gives you a whole new perspective, I feel, on life. and I think that's the thing, isn't it? What's so amazing about, like, sharing people's stories is it's different perspectives, but it creates... Like, you can go and come out with your own kind of outlook from a story, but it's amazing how different people's journeys will shift your own perspective. Yeah. I guess that's the beauty as well of listening to a podcast. You know, you share that story with them. and Yeah. yeah. And it's amazingly, like, intimate too when it's in... like. People take you wherever they want. It can be when they're exercising or it can be when they want to have some quiet time. Unlikely if they want to listen to my voice. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing plugged into someone's ears. Like, you can go anywhere. Well, it transports you. You really end up in their shoes, I feel like. And if you're an empath, 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 yeah, empathizer. Yeah, then you... <laughs> yeah, here we are, finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> like Cute an old guys. married couple. <laughs> <laughs> And it's amazing, I don't know, like, if it's the same with the people you guys talk to, but when I, so we did a mental health series in Jan, and, like, the each person I spoke to, they'd say if one person took an action from listening to their story, then they feel like their job's accomplished. And it's amazing, all these incredible people, it's all about kind of just shifting one person or impacting one person. But, like, the podcast, for instance, like, it can go into the ears of hundreds of people kind of straight away, which is really cool. Yeah. Especially regional people. Yeah. I don't know. I've just got a love for regional Australia at the moment. I don't know why, but... Just even get a podcast on. I know. Well, I was going to say, so who is your intended audience? Obviously, you guys have friends all over now, all over the world, but in Sydney, rural Australia. Who are you trying to tap into? 
Or hang on, two questions. Who were you trying to tap into originally? And is that the audience you've actually hit? Originally, we were going for around, what, 25 to 45? Like in terms of age bracket. In terms of age bracket, we were going for that. But we wanted to hit everyone. I know they say you're supposed to kind of pick a niche market and go for that. But how do you pick a niche market out of this assortment of people that we're talking to? You can't. I guess what I thought it was was to break down that barrier between city and country and you always hear about, hey, let's just, um, you know, break down the barrier. They need to know what happens out here, you know, on farm and, and whatnot. But I don't think it's that anymore. I think news is so accessible that we didn't need to tap into a city audience as such, just more so um, people who are interested in agriculture but you the know. city audience kind of came naturally as well. They at did, the same and I time. don't think I didn't think that they would. No, but they did. Yeah, it's amazing when it's like personal stories, and that's where I reckon agriculture has such an opportunity. Is because one, I don't think people, aside from journalists, have actually told people's stories. Whereas now there's these avenues like you guys are opening up, where it's allowing someone to share their own story on a platform and. You might have a dentist one week talking about something and then you might have a vet and then you might have a rodeo clown. But yeah. it's like these people, like these audiences never ever would have crossed over but because they listen to one then they'll think, oh, yeah. And that's what we wanted. We wanted that crossover. So with Ties, the first one, we got this influx of the motocross, supercross industry and we were like, Mm. Whoa, wasn't expecting that. Quit my day job. We got okay, <laughs> we, we got this huge influx of those and then Terry Halls, we had the camp drafters come in and it's it's this mix. It's not we're not just targeting a niche niche audience, it's yeah, mixed. Mixed. Yeah. What are you finding with your Yeah, well like I suppose I initially went after like trying to get the agriculture stories into an urban audience and so that was why I bought the first episode was with a chef and nutritionist. And, like, farmers were part of it, absolutely, but it was also there's all these other people who are involved in agriculture that don't see themselves. So, for instance, Sammy O'Brien, she's from Queensland, she's a TV presenter, and she's got a very strong following on social media but doesn't see herself as part of the ag industry. And she had, like, this light bulb moment where I'd asked her, like, do you see yourself in agriculture? And she's like, nah, absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not contributing enough. And then... When she realised that, when she started to reflect that, that when she put something up around rural Australia, there's so many people in Brizzy which will ask her questions. And so, like, she's one of the biggest assets ag has if we're trying to attract a young audience. Yeah. But she doesn't see herself as part of the industry. But that's what I love what you're doing. You're broadening that ag industry scope. People who mightn't think they're a part of it, but then suddenly the same sort of have this light bulb moment. And they're like, actually, wait, no, I know mm. about all of this. I can actually tell people about this, so I must be. And I think that's great. It's making the ag industry isn't just farmers. It's this whole broad spectrum of people. And it's everyone. And I think what would be amazing, like, and, and talking to you guys too, but it's like journalists. Like, journalists see a whole different angle when they're particularly rural-based, but, like... Their stories are being incredible. And I'd say that they're part of agriculture because they're the empathisers and communicators on behalf of other people. So hundred percent. What did so you guys were out here? Were, were you at, at home during the drought in 2018, 19? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was reporting for Prime then in the drought. And I'd love to know, like, because Dubbo was well, it was on the news running out of water, and there were so many aspects which just kind of baffled me around that 
these communities like Coli, for example, I remember doing a story there where Lucy's living now, Lucy T. I remember doing a story there. They had run out of water. They had literally run out of water. They didn't have water coming out of their taps. It was brown, it was murky. Um, and then you had aid coming in and bringing you in water. That's how catastrophic the drought was. And then you go on, on farm and you see all these farmers' livelihoods just, they, they were gone. And you see broken farmers and you see um, people like this. It was, it was horrible and it went on for a very long time. But in terms of Dubbo as a city, how did it oh. impact the mood around here? Well, small business died. I mean, you only had to drive down the main street. There wasn't a car in sight. Um, farmers only came in town when they needed their groceries and whatnot, but they weren't buying at the you know, local shopping centre and getting their, their clothing or you know, things like that. A lot of people were really tight on money. So, yeah, and then you saw shop fronts sell up and, you know, um, people were selling... Yeah, the whole main street was dead. Yeah, and as journalists, like, it, it's amazing how quickly everyone forgets. So, like, do you guys see a role as part of extraordinary outback stories to be bringing light back to, I suppose, the, the real conversations and making sure that when the drought comes around again or fires come around again that it's not just so much of a shock? Like That's your job, I guess. But that is also Australia. That is what we live in. You know, we live... You always go out and see the politicians come out and they announce, you know, all these drought packages, for example. You know, you're sitting next to Malcolm Turnbull telling you, you know, this is a drought stimulus. I've been out here, you know, la, la, la. But then, I don't know. You know, he'd always start his speech with, we are the land of uh, droughts and flooding rains. You know, this is... This is, yeah, this is Australia, you know. Yeah. You're not going to change it, which m- might have a bit of truth to it. But, yeah, I think that is what we live in. That's what the hardship is living out here. That's why people are incredible. But you're right, people do forget. Even, like, I do it myself. So mm. I, was, I was away for a lot of the drought. I kind of came home at the back end of it. And driving into home at Kinnamble was heartbreaking for me because there was nothing there. I'd left and it was green and beautiful and whatnot and I came back and there was nothing but just six months later it had turned into this paradise and you sit there and you do forget you forget but you've got to be jolted back into reality so we might have been out of the drought but you look at central Queensland that was still suffering this insane they were going through so much hardship and it's not reported on no one knows that it's happening I know we only had it at the back end of the drought wasn't reported the whole way through it's only when people start really struggling that it gets to that point and I think that's our place is to tell no as soon as this starts we start telling these stories people can open up and be like you know what it's hard but this is how we get through it this is what we do yeah you might have to take the plane over to WA they're they're struggling pretty hard exactly over there so exactly yeah we don't really know about it do we no you don't you don't yeah hear about unless it. you only hear about your own, yeah and that's what that's what kind of and this might get a bit political, but it's horrible. The fires were so drastic and bad, but the drought was a slow-moving cancer. It just That's what gets me, that this the fire was huge and there was so much support for fires and whatnot. But you look at these poor farmers that are sitting out here that have had no rain for five years and have had to get rid of all their stock or they know they're not going to get a crop in this year. It's this slow-moving cancer compared to a car crash. And that's what I think needs to be addressed is that it shouldn't just be the natural disasters that happen all at once. It has to be factored into the drought. And I think that's where, like, 
uh, I suppose last year it seems like more podcasts have come out and they'll probably come and go as quick as they, or they'll probably go as quick as they came. But like, I think there's a, a massive opportunity like for this media, but also like grassroots media to be telling the stories and yeah, what's actually happening on the ground. Yeah, got to play in it's independent bonus, media. Yeah, mm. and I think there's a massive opportunity. It's how how you fund it and who will fund it. Mm. But I also <laughs> think like that's where there's got got to be potentially like more collaboration between people in regions and how you can get um, people on the ground just to be sharing a story. Idealistically, what would you like from your podcast? Like, what's your aim? The end goal. Yeah. Well, I'll probably do work in it full time. But to see, like, for me, the podcast is only one avenue. Like, I want to – like, I've, I've dabbled at um, creating video only just because there was an opportunity. So, like, trying to start a series called – I've got to remember what it was called – Beyond the Gate. And so it was like you can either go beyond the gate into the farm or the farmer basically can go beyond the gate outside. And so you can look both ways from sitting on the fence essentially. And so I did one into a, a free-range egg farm. And so it was actually like really interesting and from my perspective, like I know ag, but you'd start, it, you'd, when you start to talk to people in specific industries, you realise how little you know. Mm. And so like I was asking the dumb questions, which oh, is good. awesome because it's like the this stuff questions. really gives you the licence to do it. Yeah. Whereas if you had the opportunity to, to ask that person one-on-one over a coffee, you probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't feel confident enough to be like... Because yeah. you want to showcase yourself yeah. being like, yeah, so I'm an ag. A, uh, a question came in last week. And <laughs> <laughs> so the end goal for your audience as well is probably the same as ours. It's to spread the word about agriculture and... Yeah, like so I suppose I've got like this slogan thing which I've had since the start, which is more people more often identifying with agriculture. And so it's trying to see the influence that ag has in the world around people. And so whether that's talking about plastics in the ocean, well, that's somehow related to agriculture and our food system. So I think like it's, you can kind of start to go like, you can talk about fertilisers and chemicals, you can talk about drought, you can talk about fires, then you can start to talk about really big issues and what the big corporations are doing. Why is it that only like when real pressure comes in, for instance, single-use plastics. Like, we're still so far behind in Australia, but the rest of the world has, in other areas, they've eradicated it completely. And, like, yeah, it's amazing you think Australia is such a small place. And that's where, I, like, I really want to bring the international perspectives in. It, it's oh, a different it, world it out there. It gives you a whole... It blows your mind. I saw the same in Mongolia. Yeah, because you did the derby. And it... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which she is cool. won the derby. No, I didn't. Came sixteen. <laughs> That's but pretty good. But finishing is practically a win. Yeah. In it. Yeah. No. It was. It was really awesome. It was probably the most insane thing I'll ever do in my whole entire life. <laughs> I I found it one day. I it was on social media, and I just saw it, and I was like, "That looks bloody cool." Imagine being able to say that you've ridden a thousand k's on a horse, ratty ratty rah. And I have this friend, um, James Lester, who's from Perth. And I was talking to him about it, and he was like, why don't we do it? And so I was like, cool, okay, it can't be that hard. (laughs) (laughs) We're both in, because I I used to be in polo, the industry of polo, so I was always riding horses, so I thought, can't be that hard, whatever. Um, So we we turned up in Mongolia, no fitness training, no anything. We'd both been in polo for like six months, whatever, so we were quite riding fit, but we had no idea what we were signing up for. It was... Mentally, emotionally and physically, it hits you on every single level and 
there are days when you literally would rather die than keep moving forward. Because what was it, a thousand kilometres? A thousand kilometres, and you change horse every 40 k's. And yet it's basically shepherders that will swap their, lend their horses They're to They're nomads, the so all the nomads that live out on the steppe, and you rock up to this pony line, which might have about 50 horses on it, and you've got to pick your own horse, and there's obviously the language barrier because you're trying to talk to them and find out which horses are better, what's good. I just was a real basic bitch and went for colours. <laughs> 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 that one's pretty, I'll take it. But it's it's a real, really tough... If you're going to do it, it's amazing. Like, Didn't you say there were vultures? Yeah, there's vultures out there. I don't know if you've ever seen a vulture, but it's that bird that has... Yeah, I'll send me cartoons, yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, yeah, like, oh, what's that movie? Um, Fox in the Hand? Not Fox oh, in the I was thinking um, um, The Lion King, but... <laughs> Robin Hood! <laughs> that one, the vulture in Robin Hood. So that's what I always think of. But there were vultures out there, and there's some hectic stories. There was this girl in our year that she fell off and broke her hip and knocked herself out at the same time, and that wasn't the scariest part of her trip. It was waking up and seeing three vultures circling above her Holy crap. And they, they, they <laughs> the Mongols don't dress their kids in colours because they're scared the vultures will come and take them. Really? They're, the, the, they're huge. So Jimbo and I, the guy I did the race with, we actually backtracked 12Ks to follow a vulture up a mountain because we had never seen one up close. <laughs> and we got within probably 20 metres of it and it turned around and just opened its wings up and just flew straight at us. And I have never been so scared in my entire life. Yeah, but it's right. just, it's a... <laughs> Sense of adventure. <laughs> it's, it's really, if you're ever going to do it, like, just make sure you mentally prepare yourself. And physically, more physically. What was it about, like, the culture over there that opened your eyes? That they have basically nothing and they're the happiest people I've ever met. They're so willing to let you into their home, feed you give you their horses and pretty much the clothes off their back and they're so happy. And what do they, like, expect in return? Nothing. Not a single thing. They're happy with a smile. They just want to see you happy and that's what I couldn't get over. It just... It made me come back to reality, really, and realise that I don't need anything to make me happy, just myself, really. And they're just probably the coolest culture I've ever been around. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Will you go back like, once we're allowed I'd to travel again? love to go back. They've just started up a new race in um, Argentina. <laughs> oh, yeah? In the Gaucho Derby, which is... So you're going to do that? I'd love to do that. This is a call out to Jimbo. <laughs> Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> Lock it in. How about the tuk-tuk one that you were saying? Oh, yeah, that was an Indian tuk-tuk version. Through so India. You, um, you drive a tuk-tuk. Yeah, so oh, you I'd go about 2,000 k's. You mm. go from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top and... Yeah, three people in a tuk-tuk. <laughs> Why don't you guys start like an Australian one? Oh, wow. This Adventure. guy is so full of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to come on board with us? <laughs> we have an opening. <laughs> what would it be, though? What would you send people across Australia? I think horses are too hard. Mm. You can't... You camels are too slow. Ca- camels are too slow. Kiwi 50. It's been done. Posty box. Posties. Oh, my gosh, posties. Yeah, that would be ideal. (laughs) Or a golf cart. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't get real far, though. Yeah, but that would be the beauty of it. (laughs) You got any ideas? No, I'm just thinking about it. 
I thought a goat. I don't know. Why. A goat? <laughs> what, you're just going to walk a goat? <laughs> I think they, people do that. They just drive them. Just yeah. I don't know. I was thinking about driving, actually, with Terry when he told us that he's going to take us driving across the country. And I suppose, yeah, to circle back, where, where are you guys taking the extraordinary stories? Where, where do you, who do you want to talk to and where do you want to go? Yeah, we really want to go up to Queensland. I think that's our next trip, isn't it? Fly up in the 182, base ourselves up there and uh, <laughs> just yeah. talk to people. Get, and just get a whole range of people and, like, I'd love to get a crocodile hunter. Yeah, old croc hunter. Croc hunter. Like Not like that, the well-known one. What's his name? Matt. Matt, right. Yeah, he'd be pretty oh, cool. See, he'd be pretty cool. But, but everyone's heard his story, but he's see? heard his story. Like, we want to go to out the back we of want the old town and get, mm. like, a really cool old croc man. And it's like, you're the one for us. Like, we obviously want to get, like, a jackaroo and a jillaroo and that mix, but a not have it all based around that. We want to really branch out over Queensland. And I've got a really good mate, um, Campbell Costello, who's a flying vet up there who would just be insane to talk to because he goes out to Arnhem Land and flies around because he's a pilot as well and flies around and offers his vet services. Mm. Some amazing people doing amazing work. Yeah, that you don't hear about. People just providing for others and don't think it's a big thing, but you hear about it and you're like, I'm sorry, but (laughs) that's amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. No, thank you. Thank you. Well, what an episode with two extraordinary Lucys. We wish them the best of luck next week with the New South Wales Rural Women of the Year Awards. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to share it on your social channels. You can share it directly from Spotify straight into your story. You can find out more about the Lucys and find their podcast at Extraordinary Outback Stories. It's the same for their Instagram and Facebook handle. Thank you again for this episode's sponsor, LAWD. And until next week, stay safe and stay sane. Look after yourselves. See you then.